Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all are making my prayer with joy. Because you're of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And it is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that you love, your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, break our hearts that your word may enter. Open our ears that we might hear the Spirit Open our eyes that we may see the application. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I said, Paul writes this letter. Some, some Hollywood poetry there, but, but you get the essence of the environment from which Paul writes. And I wonder to myself, when I, when I see this third verse, I thank my God in all remembrance of you. And with every prayer of mine, you're making my prayer, I'm making my prayer with joy. I can't help but wonder how in that circumstance did his life be overwhelmed with joy. How could it be a joyous life? How could it be that he laid on a rock after being beaten and lashed, knowing that outside of the prison there were children and, and brothers and sisters, men and women, both young and old and middle-aged, that were in Nero's circus being torn apart by lions and tigers and being burned in the city streets. How is it that Paul finds joy to sleep with? Well, he says it right here in these verses. And it's the first thing that you and I must see. is It is the mark of thankfulness. It's the mark of thanksgiving. Paul says, I I remember you in all the prayers of mine because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day to the last. I thank my God for you. It's you, your partnership, that's bringing me joy. Paul writes to the Philippian church and he says, I remember, you remember, don't you, in Acts 16? I remember Aphroditus who you sent to me, who brought me Uh, money in prison and brought me prayers in prison and brought me food in prison and brought me all things in prison and then ended up imprisoned with me in Rome. And he got sick there and he almost died and yet God miraculously healed him there and he sent him back to you. I'm so thankful for that. 
I'm so thankful that Lydia had a conversion and, and we baptized Lydia and the next thing we know we have a church in Philippi. I'm so thankful for that, that the gospel's going forth in Philippi because of this encounter with Lydia. I'm thankful that I was there in the prison, you remember, with Silas. And we sang hymns that night, remember? And as we were singing, what happened? God sent an earthquake and the prison opened up. And we didn't run, you know, we didn't run away. But here's what happened. That Philippian jailer came in and he saw that we didn't run away. And it had such an impact on him. You know what happened? He came to know the Lord and was baptized. He and his whole house. I'm so thankful for that. It brings me great joy that the kingdom of God is spreading. I ignore my circumstances because my joy overwhelms me that the kingdom of God is spreading. And so Paul writes this letter to the Philippian church from the perspective of it's more joyous to see God's plan advance, God's kingdom advance in the darkness than it is to be caught up in his own small circumstance of a small cell. And he realizes that the world is much bigger than himself and that God is doing much greater things than what's happening in that prison cell. That there's a partnership between all the people of God. Because all of the people of God have one mission in life. It's what unites every single one of us. It is the mission of advancing the kingdom of Christ on this earth. There can be no dispute about that amongst any Christian. That that's our number one call. Don't you remember what the master said? Do what? What was the Great Commission? What's part of our mission statement, our vision statement as a church? Go and do what? Baptizing them, discipling them, loving them, caring for them, advancing the kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness, not by means of violence, but by means of grace and mercy. Not with the wisdom of men, but by the wisdom of the Spirit. Go and advance the gospel of Christ. Every one of us have that command, that commission from Jesus to fulfill it with great passion and with great thankfulness. And the thankfulness is is that we're not alone, that we're together. And that we each have this specific mission. The same way we have brothers and sisters in China and Ethiopia and in northern Africa, right now they're being slain, raped, pillaged, and killed for the gospel. In this moment that you and I sit here in this church, that's happening right now. We have the exact same mission here as they do there. It is to be the priority of us to see a bigger vision than ourselves. And that is the vision and the joy and the thankfulness of the kingdom of God spreading and that we have a part in it. Paul remembers those things that happened in Acts 16. And he gives great thanks for the people of God 
people of joy. He says, I always and in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. When's maybe the last time you had someone on your heart that you found it a joy to pray for? Opposite side of that question obviously is, when's the last time you were somebody's joy to pray for? When's the last time you were so loving and kind to another person, so encouraging that they couldn't stop praying about you with joy? Often I hear within the Christian community, we need to pray for one another that we can finally come together or we can do this or we can do that. You know the first step to that? Is start finding things about each other to be thankful for. Instead of looking at what's wrong with one another, we should look at how God has gifted one another and how we could encourage those gifts in each other. How we could speak encouraging words into each other's life and say we're on the same team. We have the same goal. We have the same mission. We are to advance the kingdom of Christ. And we're to do it bearing the marks of thankfulness. And we're to be so thankful for one another and about one another that our prayers are filled with amazing joy because of one another. That's how Paul from prison has such great joy and thankfulness. As that he sees his mission in life, that being the proclamation of the gospel being accomplished. Even though he's in prison... He understands the gospel's being accomplished. And he's so thankful. It's bigger than his own life. Paul later will say this, remember, for me to live is what? And to die is? Paul is consumed with Jesus. He is consumed with Jesus' mission. He's consumed with the relationship that he has with the king of kings. There is no circumstance, there's no context, there's no relationship that is not through the paradigm of Jesus for Paul. We deal with one another as people. Each of us with our own brokenness. I'm reminded of a story I read about Warren Wearsby talking about his daughter coming home from school one day and like a typical teenager is stomping down the hallway going, people, 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 people. Shuts her door and slams it. Wearsby says he goes and he knocks on the door and says, honey, can I come in? She said, no, you're people. (laughs) Too often we feel that way about one another in this building. Too often we feel that way about each other outside of this building. Too often we feel that way about people in general. 
Too often we feel that way when we're on the road driving a car. The cure to that is to understand that those people, these people, us people, are part of a bigger story that God has put together for a purpose. And it's a bigger purpose than any of us have in our own agenda. And it must consume us. And it is the advancement of the kingdom of Christ. Once that consumes us, you will find your thankfulness overflowing. You want to live a thankful life? Get out of your own life and live for Christ. You want to have a vision and a mission in life? Get out of your own vision and mission for your life and live in his vision and his life for you. Not only do we bear the marks of thankfulness, but we almost bear we also bear the mark of passion. Paul's very passionate about his partnership with the Philippian church. What what is a partnership anyway? Well, certainly we can look at our marriages and we can think our marriages are ideally designed to be partnerships, that we, we have partners in life. We we are submitting one to another. We're appreciating the gifts. We're supposed to be appreciating the gifts one of another, to the other. I tell you, this morning as I was walking through the house, getting ready to come this morning, the gift of my wife is thankfulness. Lee's always thankful for something. As I was passing by this morning, she was on her chair putting up her make, putting her makeup on. She grabbed my hand and said, let's stop and thank God. I wasn't thinking that at that moment. But the gift that God gave her in our partnership spoke into my life. And I'm a better partner in our marriage because of that. Let me say it another way. For years, I, I was in the insurance business, the financial investment business. Before I, ever, I did that 17 years before I went into the ministry. And I had a business partner. You wouldn't find two more opposite people on the face of this earth. He was a Pentecostal. I'm a Presbyterian. He loved to hunt. I loved to go to the store. He ate things out of his freezer. I ate things wrapped in styrofoam. I think the only reason why he had me as a partner is so he could take half the year off and hunt. Because he knew I wouldn't. He was very technical and analytical and very bottom line. And I was very relational and fun-loving and enjoying the journey. But those two gifts were brought together under one business with one purpose, and that was the benefit of the business. But don't you understand, in a much more significant way, God has put us in partnership with one another. We might not find, I don't know if you guys know what this side says about you, but they know what you say about them. But your partners, we are partners. 
And we are in a partnership that is to be passionate about one another. Paul says in verse 6, And I'm sure of this, He who began a good work in you will see it to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. I hold you in my heart. I don't hold you in my mind. I don't hold you on my list of people I can call to get something done. But I hold you in my heart. How do we get someone in our heart? It doesn't just naturally happen. Even in the marriage, it doesn't just naturally happen. <laughs> yeah. But in the, even in the marriage, there's an initial physical attraction for sure. But any of you who have been married more than 10 years know that that begins to kind of wear after a time and the cap off the toothpaste is much more devastating than good looks. <laughs> and you make a decision at that point, do you not? I'm going to intentionally love this person. In spite of their flaws, in spite of what's wrong with them, I'm intentionally making a decision to love them. I'm going to sacrifice my own need to be right. I'm going to sacrifice my own need to have the top on the toothpaste. I'm going to sacrifice my need to have every piece of clothing folded correctly. I'm going to sacrifice my need to have dinner right at 5 o'clock. I'm going to sacrifice my need that the house be painted. I'm going to sacrifice my need that the lawn be mowed every Saturday. I'm sacrificing those things because I want to intentionally love this person. I intentionally am allowing my heart to be broken so that they can enter into my heart. There's an ancient Hebrew story about a student that comes to his rabbi and says, Rabbi, why does it say that God puts his word on on our heart? And the rabbi says, because when your heart breaks, it's the only way it can get inside. It's in our brokenness that we receive one another as broken people. And we intentionally make a decision in that brokenness to be passionate about one another. It doesn't come natural to us to surrender self. It must come intentionally that we die to ourselves and take up the cross and follow Jesus into the heart of another person. That's what a partnership is. Can you see your need for a partnership? Can you see the need for the people in this room? Do you have people in your heart? Some time ago I told you the story of Helen Keller coming to Christ and, and how Ann Sullivan gave her the gospel. Some of you don't know in that story later in their life, Ann Sullivan lost her sight. And Helen Keller ministered to her for the rest of her days. And as she lost her sight, she said this to Helen as she was coming to the end of her days. 
She said, I pray for the strength to endure the silent dark until you smile on me again. For Anne, she wanted to see Helen smile. But the story was even bigger that she wanted and to know the smile of God upon her life. Because her and Helen had such a passionate partnership in the gospel of Jesus. They were able to look over and in spite of each other's flaws and have such a love for one another that just to see their smile was a reason to live another day. That is the life, the partnership of passion, the mark of passion that Jesus calls us to. So he calls us to be thankful and he calls us to wear a mark of passion for one another. But he also gives us the mark of power. This partnership is not only a a pleasant and a thankful partnership and it's not only a passionate partnership, but it is truly a powerful partnership. Partnership. Let's start again with verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me in grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You see where Paul found his power was understanding The grace that Christ had for him. And the power and the relationship that he had with the Philippian church was based solely upon the grace they had received from Christ. Paul would admonish us in Romans, we we should not think too highly of ourselves. That we ought to get a grip on reality. That... Before the throne of God, every single one of us need the same amount of grace from Christ. All of it. We don't worship a capitalist God who judges us and relates to us based upon merit. We don't have a God that says you're better looking than the person next to you therefore I like you more we don't have a God that says you are more articulate in sharing the gospel than the person over on this side therefore you get 10 more square feet in your room We don't worship a God that says no you've got three degrees this person has one therefore you're better You need less grace. No, the king who we serve, King Jesus, says, all have fallen short. Every single one of us, if the mark is Christ, then you and I must realize it doesn't matter whether you're 10 feet short or 1,000 feet short. You're still a spot at the end of the valley. Unless Christ covers the gulf. Paul says that's the grace that is common to every single one of us. And that is why we must look upon one another 
as powerful people in our own lives. Certainly, Christ's grace is my power. I don't hesitate to tell you that. That's not a prideful thing for me to say. It's me confessing the humility that unless I have the power of his grace, I have nothing. And the truth is, I have nothing really to offer you if I don't offer you his grace. But don't you see that's true about you too? And in that way, mysteriously, God is using us sovereignly to be one another's power as well. Paul is drawing power off the love that the Philippian church has for him because they understand their love is not based upon who Paul's identity is or or what Paul has done, but strictly upon that Paul belongs to Christ. And were there churches that gave more money? Probably the Corinthian church gave more money than the Philippian church. They were a richer society. Did Paul mention anything like that? Your performance makes me love you and gives more joy to me than any of the other churches because of, of the way that you give me stuff. Absolutely not. Paul says my love for you is because you belong to him and you realize that. And in that way we're one another's power to endure suffering even suffering in a Roman jail. Do we know that we love one another well enough to endure that kind of suffering with power? Because there's a whole community of people around us that says, I love you not because of who you are, but in spite of who you are because you belong to him. And he says it's this grace that will see us through to completion. And it's my prayer that your love, not your smarts, not your finances, not even your theology. My prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more. And from that flows the knowledge and the discernment so that you may approve of what's excellent. The temptation is to read there, oh, if we just start loving one another, then we get knowledge and discernment. That's not what Paul's saying. You remember in Corinthians 13, right? What is the most excellent way? Love. Love. But Paul is saying, I'm praying that your, abound, your love abounds more and more so you can discern that that's what's most excellent is that you abound in love for one another. And here's why he's praying that. Because it means something in the end. So that you may prove what's excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ, not your own, a righteousness that comes from Christ, filled with it, to the glory and the praise of God. This isn't about what you do. It's about how you love. We live in a culture that this sounds strange to, but you must understand the biblical truth, and that's why I harp on it so much. If our motivation for whatever it is that we do or for whatever it is that we say is not out of love for Christ and love for one another, we fall short. Jesus has said it. The apostles have all said it. Moses said it. Isaiah said it. Jeremiah said it. David said it. Asphath said it. Nehemiah said it. In the Old Testament and in the New, the whole fulfillment of the Scripture is fulfilled in the love of God for you and the way that we love one another. Don't think so? Think of how Jesus summarized the commandments. What is the greatest commandment? That you love, that you love God and... All Jesus does there is take the Ten Commandments in the first four and say, these are loving God, and the rest of them are about loving one another. That's how important this relationship and these marks of thankfulness and passion and power about one another as the church are. This is what a mature Christian looks like. It is what a mature church looks like looks like. Some of you have the privilege of caring for an elderly parent. You remember how it was back in the day that they cared for you, right? Mom, Dad, I want the keys. Mom, Dad, I need some money. Mom, Dad, I need new clothes. The relationship was all about you for the most part. Mom, Dad, I need college. Mom, Dad, I need you to give me a start in life. Mom, Dad, I need you to help me. I need a loan. I need a house. Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad, Mom, Dad. Mom, 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 Dad, Dad, Dad. But then there comes a time where you have the privilege and the grace of caring for your parents. And something intentional happens in your heart that says, I want to love them. I want to honor them. And we turn off that place of self. And we turn on the place of self-sacrifice. What Paul is saying is that you and I must do the same thing with each other now. That the maturity of believers is this, that we have turned off the place of self, where every man does what's right in his own eyes. And we flip the switch over to the place of self-sacrifice.
Let these words penetrate our heart. Let's pray.